This is the first record for 5440 where I didn't write down a single lyric. I established a chord progression, recorded it, and then sang the story. We had 20 or 30 themes or stories. I said, okay, I'm going to marry this idea of a theme, food loser or whatever it happens to be, vodka surprise, story about Brad, to this groove or riff, and then I'm just going to just start sing talking or just sing stuff that I recall. And then did three takes of that, and that became the song. Never, ever done that before. Some records, some songs, slaving away, squeezing blood from a stone, getting the right words. And some just happened by themselves. But this particular one never wrote a word down. So that was fun. 5440 has been a musical staple on the West Coast for more than 40 years. You'd think they might be taking it easy, but they've released two albums this year. We'll chat with frontman and band co-founder Neil Osborne and listen into the second release from the album West Coast Band on this edition of Today in BC. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Neil. Thanks, Peter. It's Osborne, not Osborne, a maritimer would say, although I guess you could say that. I could say that because I'm a maritimer. Yeah, as am I. And I remember Marg Osborne on... Uh, Don Messers, was it? Don Messers Jubilee. Are we doing this? Don Messers Jubilee. And then there was the Tommy Hunter show. I think he was at Edmonton or something at that time. All Canadian staples. Proud to be remembering that. You've been everywhere, man. You spent some time growing up in Nova Scotia. You've been in Regina. Ontario. Yep. Edmonton and British Columbia. Correct. I know the country. Yeah, I've extended that lifestyle of moving all the time because my dad worked for the federal government and we moved in the middle of school year. And I guess I never got enough of roaming around the country. What did your dad do for the federal government? It was called Central Mortgage and Housing Corporation at the time. It's now called Canada Mortgaging Housing Corporation. But he was a builder of post-war time homes, a lot of social housing. He was part of the False Creek co-op development. And then he retired just shortly after that was completed. So he was involved in co-op housing as well, probably. Primarily, yeah. Good stuff back then. We need more of that? I totally think we need more of that. You take what's called the Vienna model. I've got a good friend, my brother and I, in Vienna, Austria. And he's raised his three or four kids in co-op housing where they put him in a big place. And when his kids move out, they downsize them, and it's 30% of his income gets garnished and... Gosh, if the kids today and the young people today could only have pay 30% of their income for housing, they'd be laughing. Now it's a lot higher. And having adult children of my own, they realize they'll probably never own a home until I go to the one six feet under. Before you moved to the West Coast, you were in school in Ottawa for a short time. And you attended the uh, same high school as Tom Cruise? Uh, Henry Monroe, junior high. Yeah, Tom. Oh, that, I remember him now. Short fella, right? (laughs) Jumps out of airplanes a lot. (laughs) You mentioned that you moved out to the West Coast, and that's where you met up with your bandmate, Brad Merritt, in high school. Yeah, so I moved from Edmonton in the middle of grade 11. You move to a new school, you have to figure out your way around and navigate and try to make a friend. And Brad had a basketball injury, as it turned out. I didn't know that, but he had this weird limp. Oh, there's a guy that I can talk to because he's not in a hurry. (laughs) No one one else is talking to him because he limps. (laughs) That's how it started. And then it turns out we had a lot of common interests in music, especially, and other things. And still do. We've been together ever since. 1977, that would have been. 
When it comes to Brad Merritt, lots of us have friends we've kept in touch with over the years from high school, but to be in a band, in a business, essentially, on the road, creating music with someone that long, that's a pretty special relationship. I have to believe that it is, and we're even stronger as it goes, if that's even a thing. We get into some nice, deep conversations, whether it's about music or politics or whatever it happens to be, we just have this natural place where we fall into. It's not just music, although that's also one for sure as well. It's a special thing. Did you and Brad have a band in high school? It's vague, figuring out the past. We were both fans, believe it or not, of the band Genesis when Peter Gabriel was the singer, so right up through Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Our good friend Randy, a trio of hanging out friends, did a little version of some Genesis songs, and we call ourselves Illicit Labrador. And I'm sure that was horrible because we didn't really know what we were doing. And then I went off to Berklee College of Music to start a career as a jazz musician and promptly dropped out after about six, eight months for a variety of reasons. And then Brad, I've got the letter. I just found it the other day where he wrote me and said, and it's in that song on the new record called Options, where he says, why don't you come back? Because there's a whole scene going on here. We could get right into it. And I just went. So when I was in Boston thinking I was going to be a jazz musician, I was only 18 and overwhelmed by the whole experience. And I remember talking to my personal instructor for my guitar. As I'm going into his class, he introduces me to a fourth-year student. Hey, Neil, he's my best student. And I went, oh, okay. So I meet him and he goes off and I says to my teacher, so what happens to him? He's your best student. Like, what's his future? He goes, he could teach. He might get a gig on a cruise ship. And if he's really lucky, he could be in an orchestra pit. Three arrows went to my brain and heart. Was like, what the hell? I don't want any of those. And he's supposed to be one of the best. And then I got Brad's letter. It's a synchronicity or whatever. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> just Let's just do this. Just get on with it. Tell me if you recognize this quote. When I started playing, I was an angry young man with a big mission. If I'm still doing this when I'm 30, I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> yes, and 40, shoot me, and 50, and 60. It's just so weird. <laughs> How do you feel about it now? Better than better, better and better. Yeah, just that the bones are a little more creaky. And that's nothing I can do about it, I guess. The music has matured and it continues to evolve. Yeah, I think we've gone through a lot of experiences as a band. We started out that quote that you referred to, we thought we were on a mission. We were on a mission. Then we all of a sudden, weirdly, we had a career, record companies and that whole game. And then it became, we're weirdly some sort of classic rock thing. But through all of that, the desire and the joy of creating and writing music was always there. In other words, we spend money to make this latest record in the last few. We don't make money anymore from them. But creatively, it's an imperative. It keeps us fresh, and it's a reflective perspective on where we're at interfacing with the community and, and vibes around us, whether it's just a fun thing or whatever it is. So that's never going to end. And I think if that ends, then you'll probably see the end of the band not long after. A lot of our contemporaries through the years, fine. They, they, they don't seem to have an interest or a desire to make a record. That's fine. I can understand that. We do often compare ourselves sometimes to the Rolling Stones for a few different reasons. One of them being they still like to write music and make music. I don't think it's because they think it helps them make money. I think it just keeps them on the game and interested in a creative imperative. Has the songwriting process changed for you and for members of the band 
as you've matured as a band? Do you grow your ideas together separately or together? Definitely changes and evolve. When we first started out, and I'm talking 1980, 81, 82, right through really to 88, we would get together as a unit in a place and jam and just groove and do stuff and just explore ideas. That hasn't happened in a while. We do record sound check jams and those become songs. This latest record, the West Coast Band record, is an interesting and fun concept album. They're all stories of the band and about the band and a select number of stories that the band has gone through, of which there are many. During COVID, we started to do these Zoom things together just to stay connected. And we still do them every Thursday. It starts off like, how's it going over there? How's your hip? How's your knee? And then we just started to reminisce. And then the usual, that's not what happened. It went like this. And so we started laughing about all the stories and then realized we could turn those stories into songs. So I had a bunch of riffs from sound checks that I came up with. This is the first record for 5440 where I didn't write down a single lyric. I established a chord progression, recorded it, and then sang the story. In other words, we had 20 or 30 themes or stories. I said, okay, I'm going to marry this idea of a theme, food loser or whatever it happens to be, vodka surprise, story about Brad, whatever it happens to be, to this groove or riff. And then I'm just going to just start sing talking or just sing stuff that I recall. And then did three takes of that and went, okay, there, there's the story in there. And that became the song. Never, ever done that before. Some records, some songs, slaving away, squeezing blood from a stone, getting the right words. And some just happen by themselves. But this particular one never wrote a word down. So that was fun. In the second half of the podcast, we'll listen into a tune that you've brought with us from the album West Coast Band. I did want to talk about the album that you recorded live at El Macambo in Toronto in the mm -hmm. fall of 2020 when... How is we, that possible? We were in COVID. We weren't in COVID. If you were a band, you were probably playing to less than 50 people with plexiglass and masks, and they were all sitting six feet apart. How do you do that? You throw a little bit of caution to the wind. Looking back, a friend of ours and a supporter of the band, Michael Weckerly, bought the Elmo Combo and renovated it. And of course, just as it's to open, COVID hits and it's dark. Things started to loosen up a little bit in the fall of 2020. Like you say, in Ontario, there was a permission for certain events that could happen for 50 people with distancing and whatnot. But he flew us out there and let us hang out in the club for about a week where we could shoot videos, perform, do all kinds of stuff. And then he organized two concerts that were very exclusive, obviously. And we recorded a show and we recorded a New Year's show as well, like a dinner party show. It was very fun and liberating to be able to play even after that many months again. And when you listen to that album compared to others in your discography, how do you feel the energy level is? It comes back pretty good. It, it's a pretty solid representation of where we're at these days in the live sense. It sounds like us. Sometimes I'll hear the original version of Baby Ran or I Go Blind and I go, whoa. So that's what a 25-year-old sounds like. <laughs> but in some ways, I think we're better now than then. This record, it does represent where we're at. It has the right energy, the right tone. And it sounds good. It's got some juice and grit. When Today in BC continues, Neil Osborne talks about the family curse. And we'll hear a new single from the latest album, West Coast Band. 
from the latest community news to informative, entertaining reads for travelers and the cannabis curious. Just visit your local Black Press Media community newspaper website to sign up today. Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. I'm Peter McCulley. Neil, a few years ago, you collaborated with your daughter, Candle, a family mm-hmm. curse, a, a new rock duo. She sings and writes, and watching the videos, she commands the stage. What do you think of your kids working in the family business? Great. I mean, she's surpassed me in her creativity and talent and her singing ability and writing ability and her lyrics. She's writing these lyrics, and I go, wow, I never would have thought of it like that. So I'm, I'm blown away. Same time, I lived through the golden age of the music business where you could actually make money. And anybody that's starting out now, especially if you want to do your own thing and not chasing pop radio, it's tough to make a living. She's got the creative chops and the talent. Like in Vancouver, there's no place for your up-and-coming band. Even Toronto, they're running out of venues. 5440 broke really through playing Frosh Week at universities in the late 80s and early 90s and developed our fan bases there. We, those are the people that still come and see us, really, largely, or their kids. <laughs> a family curse is just a fun thing. I had some ideas kicking around, and I didn't know what to do with them. I sent them to her, and she came back with vocals and lyrics. And so we said, let's do this. Let's take this to a place where we make an album. Then we did a little tour last year through Ontario. It was so much fun. We have Danny Michelle on drums. Because four of the songs were jams that Danny and I worked on that we couldn't figure out what to do with. And she sang beautifully on them, created songs out of them. He came along on the road and Candle's boyfriend, Jeff. And so we had a a hoot (laughs) out there. And and we have these alter egos. She calls me Niz instead of Neil. And I call her Kiz instead of Candle. So it's I'm Nizwiz and she's Kizwiz. That's the characters that we inhabited for our family curse. And Nizwiz became a whole thing all by himself. In 2019, 2020, I did this, also a stream of consciousness record, a double album, artistically stuff I wanted to get out that I needed to do and and say and comment on and elaborate creatively. And I did everything myself. 5440 has become its own thing. I didn't want to confuse more than we already have any fans of the band or expectations that people might have that what we're about and this seemed to be something that I just had to get out and do it's not officially out yet you can get it on vinyl there's a couple songs out there but we're ready to as soon as there's a space in the windows we're going to put out the the Nizwiz record and it's just commentary on a lot of things artificial intelligence America stuff like that lots to comment on and it's a very fun record for me to do And that was also creatively interesting in the sense that I had this concept in mind and I went and wrote and recorded the first song and every song was written and recorded in order. And same thing, I never wrote a a word down. I just sang what was on my mind or in my head right to the last song. It was was actually recorded and, and created in order. As a creative project, it was very rewarding for me. I like to think this that once it gets established out there that People might appreciate it. If they do, great. If they don't, next time. You and I have been around long enough to see 45 singles come and go, vinyl albums come and go and come back again, cassettes come and go, CDs come and go and come back, VHS tapes come and go. We've seen the rise of streaming, online radio stations, uh, satellite radio, huge networks owning all the radio stations, 
You mentioned 5440 being around with a large fan base. How do you suppose the band has managed to weather all of that change and disruption in the music industry? I've got to think it's live performance. That's been the consistency. We've been pretty consistent approaching it, performing it. It's all cliche stuff, but it's true. We don't take our audience for granted at all. Uh, We know it's a collective experience, especially with people that have seen us and followed us and stuck with us over the years. So that's the constant, and that's still the driving force behind why we're still here, honestly. And then on the inner world of the 5440, I think I mentioned it earlier, is that we stay creative. We still write. That keeps us feeling like we've got something to say, if only to feel rewarded in it within ourselves as artists. Like, for instance, it took me three or four times to hear Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young. I've seen him three, four times, and then I finally heard Cinnamon Girl. I pretty much cried when I heard it. We know that people want to hear the hits, in other words. And you got deep tracks that we want to hit sometimes. And then we got new songs. And you've only got 90 minutes. Maybe you can stretch it to two hours. And believe me, that fills up pretty quick. Are there any specific songs in your catalog, Neil, that hold a special place in your heart? And if so, why? They come and go. We opened the Commodore this last Thanksgiving with Baby Have Some Faith, which we haven't done in a while from the Fight for Love record. And it's got a tone to it. Walk in Line from the Show Me record. And then we brought back a song called Book from the Deer record that we hadn't played this century. So it was nice to do. And then, of course, we did West Coast Band, new song. Yeah, they come and go. We try things out once in a while. So a song called Faithful that I wanted to do. Once again, the catalog is overwhelming. And we do have, there's 10 or 12 songs that we always play and we have to play. We don't mind playing them. Like that's a whole nother conversation. The subtlety of the four or five of us getting on stage and interacting with the room and the environment and the people and you playing, sure, you're playing Ocean Pearl again, but it's subtle, it's different. And you can read the energy and It's like you are sailing. You're dealing with the wind of the vibe and where it goes and you ride with the waves and the wind. And it's just so neat. And so I don't get sick of playing 2,000 versions of Ocean Pearl. It's fun. But playing a new song or playing a song that we haven't played in years, it's scary and fun. One thing I've always enjoyed about 5440 is that you've complimented your albums with videos and lots of them. You've experimented with it. You've kept it fresh using different formats and... I knew that you created a lot of videos. I was uh, on Google the other night and I counted 34. Do you have a favorite? Favorite video? I would say Blame Your Parents has got the most going on. And Jeff Weinrich did it. And I don't know, it just has that look and feel to it that is, is a visual masterpiece to me. I really had very little to do with it other than performing it. And of course, having been involved in writing up the song, but the video is really stunning and still to me. Of course, Ocean Pearl was fun and successful. And that was the same guy, by the way, that directed. Your latest album, West Coast Band, you worked with Adam Casper, who's worked with Nirvana, Soundgarden, and Pearl Jam, to name a couple, or three. Had you had the opportunity to work with him before? No. He worked with Dave Ginn, our guitar player, on a young band he was producing. Adam mixed it, and then I guess they became friends. Dave and I talked, and I said, what if we ask Adam if he'd be interested in mixing our record, not knowing if he'd understand it or appreciate it, because it's it's a different kind of thing. He said, sure, let me listen to it, and he, and he loved it. He, he said to Dave, 
this is the most literal record I've ever mixed. And that's the other thing that's different from other 5440 records. These are just stories laid out. Here's, here's what happened. Here's how it goes. Boom. That's something we don't do usually. The second single from the album West Coast Band is working on it. So tell us that story. I think everybody can relate to how's it going? Where, when's that going to be done? Where, so it's our crew would jokingly say that to us. You have no idea how much, how hard we work to make it so you can just walk on stage and play. And I'd be like, how come we're not going on? We're working on it. So it became this, this funny thing. And then with the band and song, sometimes I hold things up because I'm not quite happy with the words or the melody yet and matter. Brad would go, where's that song? And I said, I'm working on it. So that's the song about me, more or less. And every band member has a song about them. Working on it, working on it, I'm working on it, you know I'm working on it, you ask me what went wrong, hey Crazy cause 
Something you don't hear much of anymore in music is whistling. That's myself and Dave. And there's a lot of overdubs of those. It's hard, trust me. But we figured it out. When I was coming up with the melody and words for the song, immediately think of the Seven Dwarves or some Snow White. Whistle while you work. And I went, oh yeah, let's do something like that. So that's <laughs> it's as simple as that. I know athletes in particular can be pretty superstitious before a game especially baseball players for some reason or another. Over the years, you've interacted with many fans. You've been on the road for more than 40 years, as you say. Are there any encounters with fans over the years that have left a lasting impression on you? Nothing specific. It's nice to get compliments and told that certain songs or certain performances made an impact on their life and perspective. Maybe I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that, but at the same time, I understand that they're talking about the music or they're talking about their understanding of the performance of the music or they're talking about the song. I'm the steward of the music and the steward of the song. I appreciate that they really feel connected to the music. Do you have any rituals or routines that you follow faithfully before you go on stage for a concert? Absolutely. One, which is vodka surprise. Dave, the lead guitar player, 30 minutes before go time, pours us all a drink. Sometimes friends or my sister, if she's there or our lighting guy, but all the band members get a vodka surprise, which is vodka, Red Bull, soda, and some cranberry juice. Thing is, no one really knows how much vodka they got because you can't taste it. And <laughs> you're not really supposed to finish it because if you do, you might not finish the night. It's a little warm up and a cheers and a salute. And the other ritual that we do have is Quite often we go on the road, their weekends, we're home for two days, three days, and then we go out, we'll fly the day before, and then we always go out for dinner together and have a really good time. It's amazing how we can just keep talking and get along. Neil Osborne, singer-songwriter of 5440, has been our guest on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send us a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC Podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, YouTube, and Google Podcasts. The West Coast Traveler is an adventure in itself with content created by professional journalists and amazing photos provided by our readers. WestCoastTraveler.com is the newest travel network exploring all corners of Western Canada and the U.S. You'll see stunning photos and videos, read engaging travel features from around Western Canada and the U.S., experience all the West Coast has to offer. Begin planning your next adventure. Visit WestCoastTraveler.com.